Stand by. The vacuum tubes are warming up. This is a special live broadcast. Right here on Georgia Radio. 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 Well, this is Wade Peoples, and we want to welcome you here tonight on Georgia Radio to the Georgia Folk and Farm Life Radio Show. Our half hour every Tuesday night here with Matt Jolly. And sometimes it's just Matt and me, and, and we have a great show, but we, we love having good guests, and we've got a great guest tonight. Tonight we have the Savannah River Keeper, Tonya Bonitavitz. And I'm just so <laughs> proud of myself that I have uh, learned to say her name because she has a great name, but it's not a, a common name. So, Tonya, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, and you say it wonderfully. Thank you. Well, I know the term riverkeeper is an old term. It originated, I think, in Europe. The royalty that used to own all the lands and the waters and the fowls and the fishes and things, they had riverkeepers, and that's an old term. But today, the modern riverkeeper is a much different uh, critter. Am I right? I think so. So the, the modern movement of, of riverkeeper, waterkeeper was started on the Hudson in the 70s. And it, uh, it actually was a uh, group of shad fishermen, uh, a couple of Marines, uh, folks that they use the water regularly. And they were really angry because they couldn't sell their shad anymore. It's the oldest fisheries in the United States. Um, and the, the color of the river was whatever General, uh, General Motors was painting its cars that day. And so they got together and said, you know, we have to do something about this. Some folks said, let's shove mattresses up the, the intake, you know, lots of all kinds of nonsense. And there was a, a writer for the Sports Illustrated that stood up and said, you know, there's this law from the 1800s that says that nobody has the right to pollute. And if they do, citizens can hold them accountable. And using that Rivers and Harbors Act, they held General Electric. They took them to court. And uh, over the amount of fish that they were killing and the first $2,000 settlement, they bought a boat and it kind of started a movement. And so that's, that's where we were born. There's 360 of us plus worldwide wow. now, about half that's, in the United States. Tanya, that's amazing. <laughs> I remember, you're not old enough to remember, but you probably read about it. I don't remember where the river was. It was probably New Jersey or Pennsylvania, one of the cities of everybody, a river caught fire in the, in the 70s. I remember a river yeah. caught fire because there was so much pollution in it. And it, pollution back then, it, listen, I have been in rivers in Georgia and been uh, when they were really low and walked them and been uh, there with uh, metal detectors with people that years ago that used to go into the edges of the rivers, uh, Oconee and Oakmokey. And, and it's it pretty much standard procedure for years to dump things in a river, even uh, municipal governments and big companies. I've seen where, you know, telephone company up there on the uh, Oak dumped thousands of old obsolete telephones in the river. That was just a dumping ground. And it was, yeah. nobody thought anything about it. Cash registers, machines, all sorts of things got dumped. Slot machines when they had uh, big roundups, you know, for gambling, they'd bash you know, go out and round up slot machines and, and, and whiskey, just whatever, and during the prohibition, dump yep. in the river. So it was not just, there was, it was industrial pollution on a massive scale, but also personal. People just didn't respect the river. They'd go fishing or go to the river and just tow everything in. So I can recall when our rivers in Georgia were not as clean as they are now and that uh, there was not the awareness of what uh, a commercial uh, 
polluters did. And uh, so I live, my favorite river is the Ogeechee, the Great Ogeechee. And it's, except for mm-hmm. the what's Millican, I was king finishing. That, uh, that one, I think it's about the only polluter, or potential, I won't say polluter, but the only um, industrial facility on the, or right there on the river. But it's a clean river in a lot of ways, but we always do better. So what do you do day in and day out? What is, what do you do and uh, who do you work with and what's, what makes you come every day and want to be a river keeper? Uh, so I'm going to start with that one. And so the, I think the reason, so I, I fell into this. I didn't mean to do it. Um, I was, I was working at Augusta university as a teacher's assistant. I was about to graduate and excuse me, I graduated. I was about to have my second kid. And I wanted to work full time. And so there was a guy at church that had this thing called Riverkeeper. So, like, it was a complete fluke. Um, but I quickly found out that we are, uh, we really help people. There are people that are affected by very serious issues, you know, everything from storm water that all of a sudden washes their foundation of their house out within six minutes or, you know, located next to, to fields where they're disposing of dead animals. It's causing, you know, really serious health risks and seeing how, how our voice and how we can help amp- amplify and, and help people that really, really need it. So I think that's, that's what keeps me going um, because some of it I've just had enough. Like I've dealt with politicians for long enough that, um, and, and just jokers. That is, uh, it can be a very frustrating world to try and navigate when you're just trying to get people to understand, like, it's your drinking water. <laughs> like, you've got to well, take care of your drinking water. <laughs> well, as we just naturally take water for granted. Now, the day will come when we, no. that'll end. That, that, that day is, is in sight because, uh, with increased, uh, irrigation and pumping out of the aquifers and, uh, uh, just so many homes being built and, uh, expansion along rivers and, and river, uh, watersheds and a river is not just a you know they say no man is an island no river <laughs> is is stands alone as a, as a stream of it yeah. it is the end all and be all of a watershed that over a large area and it, the water drains into the river and the river is a place where water is concentrated but before that river gets to water gets to the river it's been a, a lot of places and been a, done a lot of things and seen a lot of, of uh, good and bad has it not <laughs> it has so for the savannah river we start all the way in nanahela national forest so um the chatuga river if, if you've seen deliverance that's probably uh <laughs> it's claimed to fame, but it's right. a you know it's a wild and scenic, amazing river. Um, so the Tuluma they form, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sorry, they form three big lakes: Hartwell, Russell, and then Clark Hill. Or in Georgia, it's called Clark Hill. Um, and and then you have this free flowing river all the way down to Savannah. And one of the things that we spend the most time doing is one trying to get South Carolina and Georgia to understand it's the exact same river. Like it's the exact same watershed. What you do on one side affects the other, but also from a, you know, top to bottom. So what happens in Elberton, Georgia absolutely affects the water that's available in Hilton Head, South Carolina and vice versa. Like that tail of the Savannah Harbor wags the dog of the lakes and, and dictates how much water they have to give out during a drought, which we're in right now. So is um, we spend a whole lot of time in this, you know, just 400 miles long, but 10,000 square mile watershed, 
just trying to connect people to getting people to understand, Hey, this person is affected by how you're doing this. And especially when you're talking about the two states, they're better than they've ever been before. But whoa, it's difficult to get people. No, to, no to look two states. No states have ever been allowed, have been able to really be friends when it comes to sharing a river, Georgia, yeah. Alabama, Florida, Carolina, it doesn't, and it's not it, any state. It's not just Georgia and, and, and her sister states. It's it, when a stream flows is the boundary between states. Uh, it, it, it seems to, uh, it's almost like, a, a, a incitement to feud, you know, it's something to fight yeah. over. And, uh, so I, I, I see that with the, the Savannah river, the ports authorities down there in, in uh, yeah. Savannah, South Carolina would like to have a piece of the action of, of the port facilities. And, and Georgia has got a great port facility and, and it get but like, like it, one man's trash is another man's treasure. I say a great port facility, but if you love the river, you say, Oh, but it does a lot of damage too. And I go there almost, um, most days I go to a international paper, paper mill in, um, Garden City there on the river at Savannah, and we the unloading is right along the riverbank. Yeah. And I watch that river. I've watched it for years, every day. I go there most days, and I see that Savannah River, and I see all the things that go up and down it, natural and unnatural. And, uh, you know, uh, 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 there's a – I look at that river, and I think, you know, it's basically unchanged in a lot of ways from – 400 years ago, but it's changed massively in ways we don't really see. Like the, I, yeah. I have friends at, at the old uh, dredge, uh, Hampton Roads. I love that, and I know <laughs> I love the old dredge, but I know it does damage too. But it's necessary for jobs and commercial and economic development. So, how do, where do you fall on on uh, the economic activities that affect the river? So the so the river supports about 4.1 million people. A day, excuse me, I'm sorry, I said that backwards, 1.4 million um, throughout the, the 100 mile stretch, including a number of this, so there's 48 industrial and municipal outfalls and intakes. Each one of those represents an ability of a community to make money off of that river, whether it be the municipality, the drinking water. Um, or the industry that they're using, because every industry uses water. They just do, most of them massively. Um, and so every piece of that pie is directly you know, aligned with the economic viability of that community. So um, there, is a, there is a happy medium. Um, it is a very large river, and it can handle quite a bit. Uh, but it has to be done carefully. And so, um, you know, the Savannah Harbor is always going to want to be the number one harbor, but they can't. They're, they're not. They're going to reach a level where they can maintain, and that's great. They, you know, it, it, it will continue to be a very viable um, port for in perpetuity. There's no reason it shouldn't be. Um, but they have to do that in a way that doesn't really negatively impact other communities' ability to use that same resource. And so it's, and, and that includes the animals, right? Because they, they have to exist too. But you're right. The river is very, the river is the most rural, in my opinion, of any of the, the, the Ogeechee has far more houses on it. Little creek. It's a little creek. Um, I love it, but it is also a creek. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's, um, but it's, you know, between Augusta and Savannah, it's, it's very rural and it is very, uh, the, even the culture is still connected to the river. Um, in Sylvania and Allendale, people go out on the sandbars to hang out on the weekend. Um, so it's, you know, it's about 
making sure that everybody is able to thrive, but doing so in a way that's equitable as much as Tanya, possible. Tanya, I'm, um, I'm, I'm somewhat of a conservative, probably more so than you are. I don't really know your, but my generation and being an old white man, I'm, you know, have a certain <laughs> <laughs> political expect people expect you to have it. And I, and I'm true to form. I, I don't very much, but yep. I do, I do, as I get older, appreciate that uh, we did a lot of damage years ago and, and still do. But I've noticed over the years that like the nine, I get just making this up, just the first 95% of addressing pollution and destruction of habitat and waterways and and lands um addressing that the first 95 percent is fairly easy a lot of people can do a little and make a big difference and we say well this is a lot better but then when we get into that last five percent is where we have to become very (laughs) restrictive and uh, and and government has to get involved with with some tighter regulations and usually that last five or ten percent effort is where the the trouble starts. And there are yep. those that, you know, say, I love the river, but it's, you know, we, we've got to use it for this and that. It, and it, it's like with farmers with uh, irrigation, we can't feed, grow the food to feed y'all if we can't drill wells and pump from the aquifer. And, and we can't, uh, we can't access waterways for, for drawing water and things. And municipalities need water. So th- that's where a lot of people differ. That, that last little percent there, um, sometimes I'm sure you get accused of being um, going maybe overboard. I, I don't know this, but I just would assume going overboard in favor of converse, conservation and efforts. And how do you justify uh, that uh, that last final effort that sometimes is painful to put in effect? Uh, so there's a couple of answers to that, and I think you're absolutely right. And it's it's exactly what I was saying. Is you know there's you have to be willing to have negotiation and conversations and, and bring people to the table so that the farmer has what they need and they're doing so in, in a wise way, right? So just mainlining, you know, raw water out without proper spigot heads that are conservation-minded is probably not the best approach. So it's about making sure that they're using the best that they can and, and you, helping them provide, you know, access to the programs that are available to help them get there. Um, but also making sure that those municipalities who have decided that they want to grow unchecked um, and they just get a blank check understand, no, I'm sorry, you can't do that. That's not, you know, you're not setting anybody up for success. So there is, there has to be some of those hard conversations. You can't do it in a way that makes it so that you, um, Nobody, you're, you're, I think you're winning when everybody's slightly grumbly, as weird as that sounds. But, um, you know, that, that's a piece of it. And, and also having thick skin, people call me all kinds of things. Um, but I think the one thing that they don't do is, is second guess my commitment to trying to make sure that everybody has, has equitable access to the river. Um, I will always err on, I don't want extra pollution. That's just, I don't right. want air pollution. I don't want water pollution. Um, well, we'll all, but, I think, uh, I think anybody that, that, uh, uh, 
has reached a state of maturity and gained a little wisdom would agree with that. Listen, Tony, we're at the half, over the halfway mark, and we're going to go for the halfway break, the midpoint break in the show, and hear from uh, our great sponsor, Amish Brothers Cattle, and we'll be right back. Just hold on. Hi, this is Wade Peebles from Georgia Folk and Farm Life Radio. I'm here to tell you about Meeks Brothers Cattle Company, and you don't have to worry about supply chain issues or where your beef comes from. Do what I do and call Meeks Brothers Cattle Company today. You can get a whole, half, a quarter, any amount of beef you want. Good quality beef. Back in pack. Last up to three years in your freezer. It's grass-fed, grain-finished, made to order. Visit Meeks Brothers Cattle Company on Facebook today and tell them Brother Wade sent you. And that's Meeks Brothers Cattle Company. Thank you. I know you can hear me, and so can your customers. Lots of people don't take kids seriously. Well, listen up. Advertising on Georgia Radio is seriously easy and affordable. Visit georgiaradio.com slash advertise or, better yet, call the station. So let's talk. Your customers are listening and so is my mom. Hi, Mom. All the best country. Georgia Radio. Everywhere you go. Well, welcome back. This is Wade here with Matt Jolly on Georgia Radio on the Georgia Folk and Farm Life Radio Show that uh, each Tuesday night and all past uh, and present episodes uh, available on podcast. Just go get the My Georgia Radio app and uh, and mash the, the button. I really mash am here. Button. I've just been sitting here listening to Tanya. I'm, yeah, this is a fact. It's Tanya, fascinating you, tonight. You know, we're we're not. Uh, say, for instance, aren't you glad that you aren't the Colorado River River Keeper? <laughs> Very much so. You know, out west, I, it's, it's, I've learned a lot about like. I'm just going to call it like I see it. Like we in the south and on the eastern side of the country are much more equitable in the way we share our water than the West. The West is this weird, like, I was here first, and so nobody else can play in my sandbox, which is devastating, right? So that's why nobody yeah. has any water. And well, and we don't play that game here. When you have Nevada and California cities and others uh, drawing enormous amounts of water out of a, out of a poor Colorado River, it's a beautiful it, – it, it, there's a – there is a – it's not infinite in its supply. There's a, there comes – there's a day of reckoning, and we're not in that place. But um, I guess you and the others like you that uh, love this, our land, our south, and our, our waterways and our culture and our, our way of life um, see – the potential impact of water being in short supply, quality, clean water in short supply, let me say, not necessarily water in short supply, but you, you are the, the bellwether. You, you say you're, you're giving out a warning. And are people listening? Do the municipalities and the government uh, agencies, and I know some are committed, but there's uh, there are government agencies that are committed to helping with uh, Euro's efforts, and there's others that, want to fight you i'm sure on the local level so what is what is a, a day a, what do you do on an average day what does a river keeper you're not the only river keeper but you're a major one here in our <laughs> area uh what does a river keeper do on an average day you have to you have tilt at windmills and get to joust with the local officials or what do you do <laughs> uh let's see so what did i do today um so i started this morning with a staff meeting catching everybody up i have a veterans for clean water program 
Uh, they go out and uh, all of our samples are collected by, by veterans. It's a really cool uh, program. Worked on our disc golf course. So we have 14 acres. It's an old car parts junkyard that we turned into a, um, it's our office and also uh, an active recreation zone. It's in downtown Augusta. Um, and it's, it's part of this revitalization of about a mile of, of um, riverfront. I then met with a planner that I'm trying to, to hire to work on Effingham and Chatham County, Savannah's drinking water intake problem. So all the wetlands um, that have, have protected the city of Savannah's drinking water, which is in Effingham County, um, are now turning into warehouses very quickly. The entire quickly. region is very quickly. <laughs> it's, um, the region itself hasn't done the proper master planning and it's, um, it's really kind of scary. Like I, I think it's from a, a storm, you know, if Savannah ever gets a hurricane again and it's going to, um, I'm afraid that with the amount of development, the way we're doing it, it's going to cause some big issues, not to mention the, the city's drinking water. Right. Um, well, um, I noticed, um, talking about the warehouses, we've, we log and I know I'm an evil logger, um, <laughs> but we've cut out tracks in the, in Savannah, Richmond Hill, all around there. Um, small areas to build uh, these developments for housing uh, developments and warehouses. Yeah. And, and I come in on 80 into uh, Savannah East. That's where I go. I don't go 16. And out at Blitchton where 280 runs in and that area before you get there, the Warnell property on the left different, but there was huge tracts of uh, timberland and farmland. There's nothing out there. It's low ground, not yeah. suitable really for housing. And um, so I thought it would be like that forever. Well, they, they, a while back, I saw them cutting a right away along the highway from Blitchton uh, back towards uh, Rooker that way. And I thought, what is that? And then I saw water lines. And then they, I said, putting in a water tower out here in a pumping station. And this, I said, this is not good. What are they doing it for? Then I saw clearing huge, all those huge tracks there on either side of ADN back towards uh, uh, Eldora Road back there. And so they're putting in, they're, they're just doing massive construction there, building uh, warehouses out there and overall 280 back towards Pembroke on that end. And it's just everywhere. And there's, there's no end in sight. The uh, Jimmy Lopes Parkway has a, an amazing number of warehouses that, and little feeder roads that feed into it. So that is a huge, uh, a huge thing is development and unrestricted development. I understand the port, the port's growing by leaps and bounds and warehousing is a big deal, but, um, it does seem to be, uh, you know, uh, I, I'm a I'm a free market guy, but I hate to see all that land go into a development. Well, so one of the parts about it that's the most alarming, or the part that scares me, is upland is upland, right? So dry land right. is dry land, but that's not where the warehouses are being put. The warehouses are instead right. they're getting core permits to fill in what are you know wetlands. And wetlands are very important from a stormwater aspect. And so the more you get rid of those, the, met, the, the you're gutting the community's ability to regulate its stormwater, which is how people flood out. That's why, you know, oftentimes people, you think about flooding, you think about people that live along the river. It's very rarely, you know, the river has to be flooding very significantly to get the folks right next to it. It's actually all the creeks that flood into the river. That's where all the real flooding happens. And, it, you know, when you do that kind of development, it's going to be the next hundred year. And I say that in quotations because a hundred year flood happens every 20 years now. And, uh, but that's what we build to. So that next 20 year, which is hundred year event, all of a sudden you have water in your living room 
Um, and, and we should have known better. Like we do know better, but it's right. not, we're not, we're not planning together in a way that gets us there. And so that's, well, that, that's a big thing that the keepers are about to embark on. You know, we're working with Ogeechee in a hundred miles just to try right. to get his, these cities and, and, and counties don't really get along that well. <laughs> I, I, I know that to be true. Listen, Tony, me, let's back up the river. Now, we under, I wrote a while back an article about the river and that, you know, that uh, both ends, of, it, 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 Augusta's not the upper end of the river, but as far as most people's, uh, yep. you know, really thinking the river, it is. It, it starts at Augusta and ends at Savannah, which is not so, but with all practical purposes for commercial development, it does. And Augusta sees it as theirs, and Savannah sees it as theirs, and, and it gets, you know, uh, the the locking dam thing. The uh, river was modified many years ago, canals and locks and things. When there was riverboat and barge traffic on the rivers, modifications were made. Now that that era has ended, and there are no longer riverboats and barges traffic on Savannah River. The infrastructure around Augusta that 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 uh, helped keep the water. That they now want to tear that out and. People are for it. Some are against it. Uh, where do you fall on the on the, uh, the, the 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 upcoming possible changes in Augusta, and what would you advocate? Okay, um, so it is it is a perfect story of, of politics gone crazy. Um, but it's so yeah. So there's an old lock and dam. It does hold the water higher in Augusta. People really like that level. It wasn't. Uh, the reason the dam was built was for barge traffic. It hasn't been there yet a long time ago, but, you know, people built their houses and they, they want that level. And so uh, part of the harbor deepening is getting fish past the lock and dam. There for many, many years have been conversations how to do that. Uh, the Corps has put a proposal forward that's a mountain of rock, essentially, where the dam is. And so it holds the water higher. And then during flood events, kind of, um, it doesn't have, it's not mechanized in the same way. Uh, the, the city and South Carolina want the dam fixed and they don't, they don't care about the fish. Uh, we are, uh, once again in the middle, uh, we, we have been advocating for many years that there is a project. Um, if you modify the Corps plan and add a series of pneumatic gates on top of them um, and actually uh, use the park to create a channel through it, you can make a huge recreational opportunity with a whitewater course and create fish passage and, and keep the water higher. So um, it, it's, we think there's, it's a perfect example of how you can use, you know, it doesn't make sense to keep on to 1936 technology nowadays. Um, that's that's silly. You're not driving a 1936 car, so right. there's no reason you need to fix and and come up with a passage that that is is just rehabbing that structure. Um, so we'll you know we're in the middle. <laughs> well, I know that there's many players. There's the the, the Augusta and. Uh, uh, North Augusta and the states of South Carolina and Georgia and the Corps of Engineers and those who live along and on property along the river in that area and boaters and recreation people, fishermen. There's so many people with with a dog in that fight that it's going to stay a fight and probably never be settled to, to everyone. It will, will never be settled to everyone's satisfaction. But I hope you get your, 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 your voice in there and make, listen, Tony, I hate that the, 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 we've run out of time. I've got a, we've, I've got a, a great question show. for her. Wade, okay, okay. I, I have I have one quick question. She mentioned this uh, veterans program that goes out and collects water samples, and I know that I'm I'm assuming you're not a biologist, uh, 
but more on the administrative side. I, I have a question for you that, that came up uh, that I heard at a, uh, at a community event just the other day, and I don't know the answer to this. Uh, if you, we, we have, and I'll use ours as an example, we have a, a, a stream, a creek that runs through our property, and I've occasionally gone out. Uh, if we're going to have a party or something like that, and I know the kids are going to swim in it, I'll test it for, you know, E. coli or something like that. And after a big rain, there's always more of it than normal. Yep. What, what are you looking for on a, on a creek? If there, I know there's a few cattle uh, up, upstream of us, but what's an acceptable level? What are you looking for when you go out and you test this kind of stuff? And I'm guessing so, agriculture here in Georgia plays a big part of this. That's why I bring this up. Yeah, so, so the um, so 200 is the, the E. coli count that you usually want to be un, under on a, on a chronic level. Um, you know, when you have a big rain event, um, it, pretty much consistently E. coli goes up. Uh, cow fields can be, you know, cow pastures can certainly be sources. Septic tanks can be huge sources. Um, when our guys go out, we actually collect uh, not only the, the basic like some E. coli, we do temperature, pH, and then situational data. So we'll try and look around and say, hey, you know, what color is the water today? Is it different than normal? How's the temperature look? Is, you know, has it rained in the last 24 hours? And so we're, we're actually um, working on trying to put a holistic picture together. But they do train volunteers. So we have an active adopt stream program where we'll train volunteers to go out, collect samples, and then help provide data back. Because you don't have to have graduated with a biology or a chemistry degree to do citizen science. Um, citizen science is the only way we're really going to be able to, to tell true pictures because there's just not the funding to do um, every breadth of every stream or creek that needs to be covered. Um, so I'd love to talk to you about helping oh, you fun. get, get Wade, even more set up. Wade, you want to go be citizen scientist? I bet I bet we could recruit <laughs> Susan Exley. And yeah, maybe we, have some, we could get yeah. Miss Ruth, and we could Ruth, yeah. listen. You Tanya, wouldn't want to take them off. No, no, I, but I can screw up a scientific study in no time. And I, I've done. I thought I, I the first time I did that, I thought I thought the whole thing was just going to blow up. I mean, it was. But our our creek's very beautiful. Yeah, and it's clear. Yeah, like I mean, I, I didn't know what I was doing, but anyway, it, it's Tanya, very clear. So we thank are, you, Tanya. We are about out of time, but I want to, listen, there's one topic that related to this I want to get into, and I want to find somebody that can really talk about it, and if you know enough about it, I'd like to have you back home, was the changes that were made not too long ago where livestock was used to, what could um, uh, go and, and drink water and go through and trample streams and waterways, and now the government made them people fence off those waterways, and you can't water cattle in waterways; you have to have a well for them. And and that change is that is, how how is that a is that been been really been as beneficial as as was hoped? And and could you come back later and talk to us about that? Um, I would be happy to, and I might even be able to to help you find some some other folks. But I think. Uh, in general, it has been good. I don't think the the enforcement is is super stellar. Um, I'm not. I will have to look at the funding that's available. I know that there's often. Right. I see a lot of 319 and other projects specifically looking at helping farmers pull it off. So I feel like it's a program that is, is probably you know in wording looks good, but the implementation probably needs 
more more fun. I don't know what it means, but it, it, it could use some help. All right. Well, listen, thank you for being with us tonight, Tanya, and I hope to have you again. And uh, God bless you, and keep doing the, the, the great job and, and, and help uh, take care of Georgia's waterways. Thank you. Thank you so much. I had a great time. All right, Wade. Our pleasure. We're gonna go All get. Right, some, we're gonna get some. Get some. Some lab coats, and yep. I'll. Uh, I'll see you on the river. All right. <laughs> we'll look like we'll look like two minions out there. That's right. <laughs> I'll even wear a, a, a scuba diving mask. How about that? There you go. <laughs> Thanks, Tanya. <laughs> Thank you. All the best country. Georgia Radio. Everywhere you go. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.